and uh, well, thank you. Praise God for that. You're generous, too generous to us. And um, um, also, as Kaylee pointed out, please check out our blog, the blog I just uh, wrote uh, at the end of the week. It's on our website, newlifechurchofjackson.org. Go on there, hit blog, and you'll see it. Um, and I want to let you know we're going to be having a, a missions day coming up in a couple of weeks. We'll let you know. We're going to have we got tons of stories, tons of pictures, and lots of things. I know Pastor Prentice kind of broke the ice last Sunday morning, and um, and he did a good job with that, even though he fouled up a few names uh, as he was giving the stories. But uh, you know, he, he changed the names to protect the innocent. Yeah, so <laughs> that was the whole plan. So, but. Uh, uh, anyway, we can't wait to share, really share with you guys everything and give you, a, give you an inside view of, of some stuff. So we'll let you know. Uh, it's coming up in the, in the next few weeks. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Uh, before I introduce our guest uh, ministry today, you guys know them, but um, um, coming up at the end of August, uh, we're going to do something brand new we've, we've never done, and that is a unity service. We're going to be coupling up with another church, uh, City Fellowship. My brother, Russ, stand up, Russ. Russ Flaster. Met uh, Russ about eight, eight or nine years ago, and, um, and he pastors City Fellowship in downtown Jackson. They have their services on Sunday afternoons at 4 p.m., and, um, but he surprised me coming over today. Uh, just goes to show you the kind of heart this guy has. He said, we're going to be doing a unity service. All I want to do is just come and be with you this morning. And, uh, and I appreciate that. He's a good brother, a good friend, very uh, just good camaraderie, good partner in the ministry here in this city. And uh, so we're going to be talking more about that in the next week or two to let you guys know the details of that. But we're really excited to do that. Uh, it was his idea, and, uh, and I said, you know, it sounds like a God idea. Let's do it. And so, so we're going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so thanks for being here, Russ. Really appreciate your friendship, man. It means a lot. Um, well, without further ado, we've got some special guests here. Well, really not guests. They're family. Uh, they, they came with us. Uh, they were here last October, did a marriage weekend and conference for that. How many of you remember that? You were part of that weekend. Praise God. Awesome. You're still married, so that's good. That's good. And, uh, uh, and I think one family has a new baby, in fact, so that's even better. So that we know some things are happening. So praise God. Um, but pastors Fred and Valerie, they were my, uh, my pastors growing up uh, at Christ the Rock in Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, they actually serves a, they serve as one of our three outside elders for New Life Church. Okay, we have three. And uh, Pastor Kent K Christmas was with us in January. Pastor Rick Bennett was with us in April. And now uh, Pastor Fred and Valerie here with us today. And so as I, I told you guys this, that with our outside elders, I want to see these folks come in at least once a year, be with our church, uh, just uh, pray, preach, and just uh, help build our church in all different ways. And so I appreciate their love. I appreciate their support. I appreciate their prayers. And I appreciate their, their grace and wisdom. Uh, I've called on them quite a few times over the last several years, and they, they never have steered me wrong. And I know uh, they will always have a great word for our church for you. So help me welcome Pastors Fred and Valerie Bennett. We love your pastors. We call them our kids, our other kids. 
because our own kids pastor the church we founded, and now we just travel. And uh, But anyway, we're so glad to be here with you. We do love Jeremy and Haley. I'm going to call them by their first names, but they're your pastors, okay? We just love them to death. They were under our ministry for years, saw them grow up, and then he married Haley, and they were part of the church and part of the school. And, and part that's of when he really got his act together. That's right. That, that's yeah. right. That's right. But so anyway, we, but we love coming every year and we, we, we want to be a blessing to you all and an encouragement because we know what it's like to pastor. We did it for 30 years. There's life after pastoring. There is life, but pastoring is the hang in there. Pastoring is it's good. (laughs) It it, it has the highest highs, but it has the lowest lows. So we we all need each other. We all need community to to go together. But you know, God has blessed us in 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 writing books after we sort of stepped down. We had a couple before, but but uh, since we were here, since the last marriage conference we did for you, we've got a new book on marriage. It's called One for Life, and we call this our emergency manual or a study guide. Couples can do it together. You can do it alone. You can do it in a group, a small group, church group, whatever, you know. So come see me at the table. We're not here to make money. Uh, We just, God has invested so much in us that we feel like we need to leave a deposit wherever we go. And sometimes, you know, people need extra stuff to help them along with their Bibles. Now, don't ever don't ever put the Bible second. The Bible has to be number one, the Word of God. But then other, other tools come alongside and help you. And I've got another brand new real comfort food. It's my devotion for women. My heart is women's ministry. Uh, I know some, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the lady that does the chicken soup devotion books. Well, mine are called comfort food, so it's not a cookbook. And, uh, and I used to counsel so many women, and so many women were single women. They had children. They had a job, no husband to help them. And they, they would get so depressed because they couldn't get into the, the, the Bible studies that the church offered, you know. So I thought, well, if I can just give them, just read one page, I'd email it to them. Just one page. Give them an ed- exhortation, a, an encouragement, and some scripture. And then they have their manna to keep on keeping on, right? Because we need the Word of God to live today. And then my husband wrote a book, Bell Ringers. It's for guys. It's sort of a... It's not a devotion book, but it's, a, it's for a, a book for men. You know, men, be men in the workforce. Be men of God. Don't be afraid to show the people that you're a, a Christ follower. And, you know, we can only be that way if we're linked to the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to be yoked to Jesus, you know. And, and if you look at a yoke, it's like a cross. And, you know, everything starts at the cross. Everything starts in Jesus and that's the only way we can be successful. But we've got other books, too. I mean, we've got 11 books under our belt. I didn't bring all 11, but I think I brought six or seven. So come see me. Our books are just 10 bucks. It helps us keep on keeping on. So come see me afterwards. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Well, Pastor Jeremy, I was just telling him, any pastor that will allow somebody else to come into his pulpit when he hasn't been there for three weekends is, is tough. So uh, I appreciate that sacrifice, and uh, I, I really appreciate you being here this morning. I don't know if you knew what you were in for, but uh, appreciate Pastor Russ being here. You know, what the two of you are going to be doing with this unity service, I believe, is really going to raise a standard here in Jackson, Tennessee, and wherever I am, where am I, Denmark, Holland, or someplace. But anyway, but... Uh, 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 didn't see a windmill, but but uh, I, I really believe that uh, that this could be a real breakthrough thing, not just for your good and the good of these two churches, but I really believe for the church uh, in Jackson, and th- this is the heart of God. Uh, you know, our, our whole marriage ministry is based on the concept: the two shall become one. 
And that's true, friends. There's only one church that God recognizes. So let's begin to behave and live that way. Let's begin to accept that and not see others as the competition. Or worse, the enemy. Uh, That's just ridiculous. We need to come together in the unity of the Spirit. Uh, Pastor Prentice asked me this morning what was really on my heart over the last few months. And uh, I I shared with him, the Lord's had me meditating on the cross like never before. Uh, I've been meditating on the cross. I'm practically cross-eyed. But everywhere I look, that's what I see. I, I see an image of the cross and uh, I, I'm just reminded of so much in the Word of God. And I, I believe we need to become more cross-conscious uh, and less thinking about the cross as jewelry or decor or a symbol and understand the reality of the cross of Jesus Christ. Yes, Christ is risen from the dead, but he paid the ultimate sacrifice for every one of us on that cross. We cannot say the cross behind me, and now I'll just go on with my life, thank you very much, because Jesus always said, also said that if we were going to be his followers, we were going to need to deny ourselves and take what with us? A cross. A cross. Now, I've known a few people over the years that have literally taken up a cross and gone walking through cities and so forth. I have no problem with that. I don't think necessarily everybody's called to do that, but I believe we can keep that cross before us. It's just so very important. The Bible says the cross is the power of God and the wisdom of God for those who are being saved, praise the Lord. You know, without power, we end up with just a form of godliness. We would call it religion. But without wisdom, we can really run amok. Uh, We we can lose our way. There's a balance about the cross that is so important. You know, Jesus came full of truth and grace. Even when I see the word truth, I see a cross right there at the very beginning of it. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, without grace, we can't handle the truth. And without truth, we will surely mishandle grace. We've got to strike that balance and understand that when we make the cross the center of our lives, our walk, our ministry, whatever God has called us to, it's going to keep us in kingdom alignment. Amen? You know, I think about Jesus going to the cross. He wasn't complacent about it. It wasn't just some resignation. Well, I guess that's all I can do and I'm done and the journey's over. No, he was zealous about it. Even in the face of opposition from his own disciples. You remember whenever he would start to tell them what what was going to happen, you know, the Son of Man's going to be given into the hands of evil men. He's going to suffer. He's going to be crucified. They they wanted to hush him up. I, I, I guess they were optimist or, you know, just didn't want to talk negatively. You know, don't say those things or it might come to pass. But that's precisely why he was saying those things. He was in agreement with them. He was zealous to give himself for the sins of the whole world. I believe we need a restoration of the zeal of the Lord in the church today, lest we become complacent or resigned or neglectful, whatever the case may be. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, 
I want to read a passage from Isaiah 58. I believe it is so, uh, pardon me, Isaiah 59. I believe it is so descriptive of the day in which we live. I'm going to start in verse 14. Isaiah 59, 14. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Justice is turned back. Righteousness stands afar off. For truth is fallen in the street. And equity cannot enter. So truth fails. And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man, and he wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him. If you highlight anything in your Bible or in your notes, highlight that. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him. And his own righteousness, it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate. And a helmet of salvation, this kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it, from the New Testament. And, and uh, a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. Now, Isaiah prophesied this word 2,700 years ago. Folks, that was a long time ago by anybody's calendar. But that word, I believe, is still alive and speaks to us today. And I think it really does speak into the times in which we live. Because we live in a time when it seems that truth has fallen in the streets. Think about that for a minute. I think about just up the river here in Ferguson, Missouri. I think about those two policemen sitting in their squad car in New York City having lunch when they were gunned down. I think about the riots in Baltimore, Maryland, and in Paris, France, the shootings that took place there, what happened recently in South Carolina, and then just this week, Chattanooga. Chattanooga. When, when did Chattanooga become a hot spot? I mean, most of us in Tennessee can't even find Chattanooga. You know, so what, what's happened there? It does seem that truth has fallen in the streets. Five uh, military men, I think four Marines and a sailor, Uh, were just gunned down at their recruiting station. You know, we're living in a time of incredible upheaval. I'll tell you what it reminds me of. The time when I came of age in the 60s. The 60s and the early 70s were tremendous upheaval. People were casting off restraints. There were protests and demonstrators and riots in the streets of our cities. People were crying out for justice. They were saying truth has fallen in the streets. I mean, everything seemed to shift. It was a, it was a confusing time for, for Val and I. We were, we were teenagers uh, in, in the 60s and in high school and then going on to college. It was like everything was being challenged. It was as if the ground beneath our feet was moving and shaking. Well, that seems to be going on today. It seems like every week it's something else. It's something new. Things that we've taken for granted and thought would always be the truth suddenly are being undermined. Suddenly we're being told that's no longer the truth. And it's confusing many people today. But I want to give you a word of hope this morning. 
Isaiah 59, verse 19. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. A standard against him. You know, Isaiah's been called the fifth gospel. And at the heart of his gospel is the coming of a servant leader who will accomplish our salvation. He is God's arm of salvation. He'll accomplish this through his righteous life, his guilty death, and his victorious resurrection. The gospel is about the substitution of Jesus Christ, the righteous for the unrighteous, the just for the unjust, the innocent for the guilty, a divine exchange that will restore us to fellowship and right standing with God. Why? So that in answer to Jesus' prayer in John 17, we may become one in him, praise God. Just what these two men right here on the front row, two pastors in the same city, sitting in the same church service today, just what they represent. I believe they're a sign to us today of what God wants to do in this community. And we need to open our hearts for that. You may think that, oh, wow, this is earth-shaking. Well, you know, a lot of things shake. I'm more interested about what God stirs. And I believe God is stirring something fresh for us in these days. You know, back in the 60s and the 70s, as crazy as it was, everybody was on LSD and, and marijuana and all these other things. And, you know, it was open free love, they called it. Basically, they were talking about open sex. But uh, free love and all these things were taking place. But God, but God. By the Spirit of the Lord, he lifted up a standard. That was when the charismatic renewal started. That's what Valerie and I were birthed in. The charismatic renewal. We didn't know what it was about. We didn't know who the Holy Spirit was. We never heard anything about the Holy Spirit. He was all new to us. And we were drawn to that. And then uh, quickly on the heels of the charismatic renewal came something called the Jesus People Movement. Remember them? They were also called the Jesus Freaks. They were a bunch of hippies. <laughs> they were a bunch of hippies who'd forsaken everything that was considered normal or average or upstanding and everything else. And, and they were looking for truth. And what they wanted to re was to return to the roots of Christian spirituality. That's what they were after. They weren't interested in religion or church as it usually is. They wanted to know the reality of Jesus Christ and him crucified, him risen from the dead, praise God, him living in us, God's very hope of glory manifesting in all our lives. Speaking of pastors, there was a pastor in Vancouver, British Columbia. His name was Bob Birch. Bob Birch was never known to be a great orator, theologian, but he was a devout man. I, I believe he was really a man after God's own heart. Let me tell you what, those are the kind of people you want to be drawn to. You want somebody that's really after the heart of God. Not out there to build up with his ego and his reputation and all the rest of it, but somebody who will humble himself under the mighty hand of God. Touch God's heart. And Brother Bob, he was a pastor there in Vancouver, and he'd go out and he'd walk the streets of his city. And he'd pray. 
Sometimes he was one of those who would carry a cross through the streets, which of course got, garnered a lot of attention. But nevertheless, mainly he was out there because he wanted to feel what God felt for Vancouver. I believe that's the kind of men we need to be following today who are walking through the streets of Jackson, Tennessee so they can know and feel and touch the heart of God, praise the Lord. One day, somewhat discouraged because there was strife and friction in his church. His church was struggling. He pastored, you'll love this name, he pastored St. Margaret's Reformed Episcopal Church. I have no idea what that means. None of those words seem to go together. I, I, can't, I can't make that out. To me, that's a theological conundrum right there. I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, what is St. Who's St. Margaret? But then, what's a Reformed Episcopal Church? I don't understand that. That, that. that doesn't seem to go together either. But two young women called him from California. They identified themselves as followers of Christ. They were Jesus freaks. And they said, we feel God's calling us to the university there in Vancouver. I believe it was Simon Fraser University. And we want to use your church to minister to that university, to the people that go to school there. Of course, Pastor Bob's listening to this conversation, and he's thinking about the troubles, the financial difficulties he's having with his church, and all the strife and everything that's already in his congregation, and his head is saying, no, no, no. Why import more trouble? You know, I know what hippies look like. I've seen them on TV. You know, they dress funny, they, I hear they smell funny, they smoke funny things, they do crazy stuff. Why, why would I want to, imp- but then out of his mouth he heard himself say, sure, come on over. You see, people who have a heart for God at critical times, during the most difficult when everybody is wondering, whoa, the earth is really shaking. Things are changing so fast in our American culture. What's going on? What do we, how do we reconcile this? How do we deal with this as faithful followers of Christ? That's when we really need somebody that can hear the heart of God in the midst of all the chaos and all the turmoil. Pastor Bob said, come on over. Well, they came over, and in a matter of weeks, dozens of hippies start showing up at St. Margaret's Reformed Episcopal Church. (laughs) Pastor Bob wrote, I wondered what have I done? He said they wouldn't even sit in the pews. They sat in the floor. They sat in the windows. They come walking in late with a coffee or something or who knows what else in their hand and go sit up in the choir. They thought that was just another one of the seats. He said they didn't know how to behave. They weren't church broken. They didn't understand anything about church protocol or doctrine or any of the rest of it. And he said, I knew you could smell the funny stuff on them. He said, and I, I, I knew that they were doing funny things, but they seemed to have such a heart. They were really seeking God. As the months went by, the dozens became hundreds, hundreds became thousands, and the Jesus movement swept across Canada. What does that have for us today? One man who had a heart after God.
in a very tumultuous time, even with all, all of his own church struggles, wanted to minister to his city. And he opened his heart to God. And God filled it beyond his imagination. And a movement swept out of Vancouver and right across a nation. Hmm. Isaiah's gospel reminds us of the Lord's remedy in troubled times. His own arm brought salvation. Jesus Christ is the arm of the Lord's salvation extended to all of us. Anybody here going through a difficult time? Anybody here having a little trouble reconciling what's going on today? I mean, who knew from the 1960s that marijuana would be legalized? <laughs> you know, it, every week it's something else, and it kind of makes you want, I don't know about you, but I keep asking, my, what's next? What's going to happen next? I, I, I saw where now one of the uh, Congress people from out in California is uh, wanting to do away with uh, the, the wedding ceremony, which says husband and wife that those terms are no longer viable or necessary, that we need something fresh and modern. See, it, it just seems to never end what's unfolding. How, how are we as a people, a community of believers, how are we going to respond to these things? I think that's the challenge before us. But let's remember this. If you don't hear anything else today, remember this. We cannot save ourselves. We don't need to be looking for another Savior because we have the one, the only begotten of the Father. And there is no other way to the, son, to the Father but through the Son. And when we take His outstretched arm of faith, His righteousness, not our own, but His righteousness will sustain us. Because Isaiah also preached in 64 verse 6, our righteousness is as what? Filthy rags, that's right. Now let me ask you this. If we are in Christ Jesus through faith, then we must also be a part of his arm of salvation. Amen? I, I remember the Christ in people who reached out to Valerie and I when we were lost. We had just about destroyed our marriage. We didn't know which way to turn. Uh, we, we didn't know what to do next. And, and we were really desperate. And that's where many people are today. This is a great opportunity for the church. The church that has a heart after God. To rise up and to reach out to a lost and a confused generation who are looking for a way forward. Last year, I preached to you that we're called of God to be an army of one. An army of harvesters, praise God, in his kingdom. So I've got a couple of rhetorical questions for you this morning. Number one, how many people did we reach with all that we do as a church? How many people did we reach last year with God's saving grace? If we're that arm of salvation then we're the ones God's using to reach people. And maybe even more importantly, how many people are we believing God for in 2015? Listen, friends, when times are chaotic, those are the times when it's very easy to reach out to people. And people respond in faith because they're looking for help. When things are just kind of going along, you know, it's a little bit tougher. But this is a great time for the church 
to rise up and to reach out in faith to a sin-sick and a dying world. And who better to do that than people like New Life Church and City Fellowship, praise God. I hope you don't mind me including all that in there. I know nothing about City Fellowship, but hey, he's got a heart for God. His being here to me represents he's got a heart for God. So I'm in with him on that, praise the Lord. We've got to remember, friends, if whatever our vision is for the church, for our families, for our marriage, for our vocation, whatever it is that we're called to, if our vision is not filled with a harvest, we're focused on the wrong thing. We've gone off course. We can focus on a lot of good things, and I see many churches doing that. But what's happened to our vision for the harvest? You know what made the Jesus people as crazy as that bunch were? You know what made them so successful in that day and time? They were all over evangelism. For them, it was what it was all about. I don't know if you remember a little story I told you last, uh, last year when I was here about a little community in England called Larkrot or Lark Rise to Candleford. I think it was Lark Rise. It was back in the pre-mechanized age when everything had to be done by hand, including agriculture. And one day it came time for this little farming community to go out to the harvest. And they all went. Everyone, every man, woman, child, babies on their mother's backs, they all went. Because for them, the harvest was eat or starve. Live or die. I believe, friends, there is a definite parallel for us as the church. It's live or die for the church. In every generation, we have to see what fields are ripe unto harvest and be willing in faith to go forth in them. I belong to a fellowship up in Canada where my, my vow's home country up there, and we minister up there about half the time. And uh, so we belong to a minister's fellowship up there. And er every year when we renew our credentials with them, they ask us two questions. How many people came to Christ through your ministry? And how many of them were water baptized? See, they want to they witness some evidence of that. See, I, I believe they've got the cross in their eye. They're cross-eyed. I, I really believe that the cross, you know, if I look at the cross, I see the crosshairs of a scope, God's perspective. What's God looking at? What did Jesus say we were to lift up our eyes and see? The fields that are ripe unto harvest. A relative of ours through marriage lives in Sri Lanka, little island nation off the coast of India, Buddhist country. He was a police commander, very influential man, not just an officer, he was a commander of men. Had a lot of influence, had a lot of position and power. And one of our family members traveled to Sri Lanka and led him to Christ. Before long, he could no longer reconcile what he was doing with the police with the call of Christ on his life. So he resigned everything and walked away. And you know what people said? He's crazy. He's lost his mind. What's he doing? And he became a Christian minister of the gospel, a pastor, started a church, 
Now, in Sri Lanka, they're not crazy about you starting churches. That's a challenging thing. They'll resist that at every opportunity. In fact, even ministering the gospel in Sri Lanka can cost you your life. It's a dangerous place to go against the grain, the status quo. So he started a church, like most pastors in Sri Lanka do, in his house. He has 40 people. That's about all he can get into his house. (laughs) 40 people. You know how many Buddhists they led to Christ last year? 1,100 Buddhists led to Christ. Oh, yeah, come on. Let's give it up for the Lord on that. I mean, if all heaven rejoices over one sinner who repents, what about 1,100 Buddhists that come to Christ? That's something to be excited about, isn't it? Amen? I mean, and 40 people, that's what I'm trying to get across to you. You might say, oh, well, that's a foreign mission field. And, you know, and God must really love them a lot more than he does us here in America because we just don't see that kind of stuff here. Well, maybe it's because we just don't have God's heart on the matter. Maybe it's because we don't understand that salvation through the cross of Christ is the power of God and it is the wisdom of God. This is what we need to be focused on. And let me tell you, when they led these people to Christ, I'm I'm not just talking about one of these, you know, little street prayers and you walk away. I'm talking about people that they witnessed to, that they prayed for, that they water baptized. Now, in a place like Sri Lanka, you get water baptized in the Christian faith and you just were disinherited by most of your family right there. You were cut off. There's a cost associated with that culturally. Then they were discipled for two months. I mean, they took this thing seriously. Dear friends, I believe that once again, we need to take the gospel of the cross of Jesus Christ, no longer being ashamed of it in our communities, and focus on the main thing. The main reason that we are here in these communities, why God makes a a facility like this available to you. You know, I I stand in this place and I was reading some of the history out there of the schools that occupied this place in the hallway out here. And I, I was just thinking, wow, look at this. Something old that God's people came into and you've breathed new life into it, praise God. And it's just transformed it. Something that was falling into ruin. And would probably have ultimately been bulldozed somewhere down the line. And now there's restoration taking place. Oh, see, I, I believe that really is the very, very heart of God. But only the zeal of the Lord accomplishes this. This is what it's about. Now, How do we define zeal? I think this is important, okay? Zeal is defined as great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an objective. Have you got a cause? We should have a cause. Amen? Synonyms for zeal would be passion, fervor, fire, Devotion, enthusiasm, intensity, and sometimes even what other people would consider fanaticism. But there is a difference between the zeal of the Lord and the zeal of men. Remember when Jesus went into the temple, it's recorded in John chapter 2. 
And he found the money changers there, and he found people selling all the livestock for sacrifice and everything else. What was his reaction when he saw what they were doing? He went off to one side and started making a whip. That should have been a clue for somebody right there that this, this was not going to be your normal day at the temple, okay? And then once he's made his whip, what does he do? He starts turning over the tables of the money changers. He starts driving out the livestock from the temple. He declares, my father's house shall be called a house of prayer. See, it wasn't necessarily about the particulars of what they were doing, but the heart in which they were doing it. They did not have the Father's heart. And when Jesus' disciples saw it, they remembered that it is written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. How many of you are zealous for this house? How many of you are zealous for the house of the Lord? And not only this house, but I believe God's expanding your vision. Other houses that make up God's church. In Jackson, Tennessee, praise God, and all this metropolitan area. You know, zeal's important. How many of you remember that one of the disciples Jesus chose was a man named Simon the, the Zealot? Now, what was a zealot in Jesus' day? A political activist. Actually, an anarchist. <laughs> they weren't interested in overthrowing Roman rule at the ballot box. They wanted to kick the Romans out. They, they would assassinate. They would kill any, anything that they could to try to change the existing government. Listen, friends, that's not the government we need to be concerning ourselves with. We need to be concerning ourselves with the government that is upon the shoulders of Jesus Christ, praise God. The government of God and of the increase of his government. There shall be no end. Somebody say increase. That increases through us when we understand who we are in Christ and that we are God's arm of salvation. You know, the Apostle Paul makes a distinction here between the God kind of zeal and man's zeal. He references his own religious zeal in Philippians 3, 6, when he says, Concerning zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. But then, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 18, he says, It is good to be zealous in a good thing always. Listen, friends, I'm, I'm zealous for my wife because when a man finds a good wife, he finds a good thing. Amen? We've got to be zealous about what really means something to us. Not complacent, not lukewarm, not, not you know, well, on my good days, I'll be great. No, no, we need to be zealous about this. Three things, very quickly. I've, I don't, I'm looking for a clock, but I'm not seeing one. Somebody help me out. I guess I could look down at my iPad and see what time it is. Uh, I'll wrap this up. Three things we should be zealous for. Number one, we should be zealous to use our spiritual gifts to edify the church. Amen? To build one another up. Number two, we should be zealous for good works, especially those that advance the kingdom of God. Titus chapter 2, verse 14. Christ Jesus gave himself to us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special 
people who are zealous for good works. And finally, we should be zealous and repent when convicted by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. You know, in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus laments about some things he sees going on in the church. Two of them that really stand out and I think speak to us today were those who had left their first love and those who had become lukewarm. What's it mean to be lukewarm? It's the opposite of zeal, isn't it? There's no passion, there's no ardor, there's no enthusiasm for what God is doing. Friends, Jesus is zealous for his church. And we as the people of God need to put on that cloak of zeal that Isaiah prophesied about. We need to, to understand that this is what God's doing with us today. It's a big vision. But only the zeal of the Lord will accomplish it. So I've come to exhort you this morning. New Life Church, be zealous for the harvest, praise God. Be zealous for God's house. I don't mean this building of brick and wood. I'm talking about the living stones that make up the real house of God. Let's be zealous for the harvest. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you led someone to Christ? Had any role to play in that? Now, sometimes we don't necessarily see the final fruit of it. We might be the one who sows we might, the word. We might be the one who waters that word. We, we, we might be the one who actually says the prayer with them and leads them to Christ. But it's something that we all give ourselves to together as a community of faith because we've got our focus on the main thing, the main thing. I want to send you out this morning. I want to send you out in the anointing of God's zeal. The God who desires that all people be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. I want to ask you this morning in your spirit, just put on the cloak of zeal. It's there for us. Be God's arm of salvation here in this world. Be zealous. Holy Spirit, I just ask you now to remind every one of us of at least one person who is in our world. They might be in our family. They might be in our neighborhood. They might be in our workplace. They might be going to our school. Holy Spirit, I just ask you to bring to our remembrance one person that we will pray for. We'll lift them up to you every day and pray for their salvation. That they would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And when we are prompted by the Holy Spirit, we will share our witness with them so that they can know the truth. The same truth that set us free will set them free in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. How, how many, if, if you'll just covenant with me over that this morning, would you just stand up for a minute?
You've got a person right now. I've I've got somebody in the crosshairs. I'm I'm focused on somebody. You know, what what we don't aim at, we're not going to hit, okay? So let's really focus on this. I've got that person. I know somebody who's lost, and I need to be more diligent. I'm going to believe for them that this is their year. God's arm of salvation is going to reach to wherever they are. And, Lord, I'm a part of that arm of salvation, and I'm asking you to use me. I'm zealous about this, Lord God. I'm not going to be lukewarm. I'm not going to be forgetful. I'm going to pray for them every day. When was the last time you shared your witness with somebody? You know, Val and I share practically every week. We're sharing with somebody about how when we were on the verge of divorce, God's arm of salvation reached out to us. And saved everything. We, we just stand in awe every morning as we pray together. Looking at the pictures of our children and our grandchildren. All these people who wouldn't even be there. But for God's saving grace. Oh friends, this is life and death stuff. This is being passionate for the will of God or not. Understanding what is our calling. I was preaching at uh, Bethel Church of God in El Paso, Texas a couple of weekends, three weekends ago. When I came down to the end of the service, I, I just asked, is there anyone here that's ready to receive Christ as their Savior? I shared how I was sitting in a church service one day, Val and I both were, and I was just waiting for the evangelist to shut up so I could go receive Christ. That's all I really wanted to do. You know, I was like, is he ever going to stop so I can, you know, because I, I had it in my mind, I had to do the formality of going down to the altar and all this and everything and, and, and go up there. And I was sharing that and I looked back in the back of the room and one little boy raised his hand. And I, I, I qualified him. I wanted to make sure he understood what he was doing. And he said, oh, yeah. So said, well, come here. And just as I was starting to pray for him, Pastor Prentice, I looked up, and it's always good to keep your eyes open when you're praying for people. I looked up, and all the other young people that were sitting with him on that row had all come down and lined up right beside him. See, he was the one when he took that step of faith. The others looked at each other and said, well, we're going too. Sometimes that's all it takes. Oh, friends, that's when you know you've stepped into harvest. That's when you're seeing the first fruits of what God is doing today. Might be somebody here this morning. Maybe this is your day. You knew it before I ever started talking because I'm not the one that can save you. Only Jesus can save us. If you're here, just lift your hand. I'll pray for you right now. You could be the one. You, it was amazing what happened in both of our families since Val and I are the oldest. When we came to Christ, it was like a dam broke. Suddenly, everything that had been holding brothers and sisters and cousins and uncles and aunts and all the rest, suddenly the dam broke and it was a huge harvest. You are God's arm of salvation. Father, I just pray for that cloak of zeal 